This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. Men who lead God's people must lead in prayer. And that also goes for the home. Paul says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere. Many at any time, anywhere. Hands lifted up to God. And the emphasis here is not so much the posture of prayer, because we can pray to the Lord sitting down. We can pray to the Lord while we're walking, while we're driving, as long as you got your eyes on the road. You can pray to the Lord. All too often, men in the home go about with the drudgery of the day, all the while neglecting one of the most important steps. If men want to lead their families well, they need to spend time on their knees in prayer. Today, Pastor Eddie will challenge you men to set an example of humble submission and reliance on God that demonstrate faith and true strength of character. Paul encouraged men to pray frequently in order to lead well. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2 as he begins his message, Men and Women in the Church. First Timothy chapter 2. Paul writes, in 1 Timothy, we're going to read from verses 8 through 15. Verses 8 through 15. Paul writes, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting. In like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let women learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the women being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. That is the end of the service. Good day. (laughs) Now, the part before us is without doubt controversial, but it's not controversial because of the Holy Spirit. It's controversial because of our culture, because of man's interpretation of Scripture. And this is why we study the Word of God verse by verse, Chapter by chapter, book by book, we speak on things that people disregard or look over, and we find ourselves in a passage that's very controversial, but some people, (coughs) it's going to be a lot of elbow ministry, guys, pay attention. But here's the thing, well, let's look at, we looked at verses 1 through 7 of chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul calls us to pray for all people. We are to pray for kings, priests, 
Well, kings and presidents, elected officials, and all who are in authority, all law enforcement officials and judges. And we're no help if we complain about the elected officials if we're not praying for them. If anything, the church should be praying for elected officials. We're so divided in this world because of this. But we need to pray for all. Now, Paul continues on in his letter to Timothy. Remember, the church of Ephesus, there were false teachers, false teachers that were deceiving people in other doctrines. And many have went straight away from the faith because of false teachings. They were teaching fables and teaching endless genealogies, saying, oh, well, I'm from the tribe of uh, Judah. I'm from the tribe of Levi. And obviously, when they start speaking in that fashion, uh, you know, who's the next one in line to be a deacon? Not the one to say, well, I'm co- I come from a line of prisoners. <laughs> my father, my grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, all in prison. Who's going to get the role? And Paul said, these are things that are divided the church and has caused disputes. There's other areas in the church in which Paul needed to address. That is the reason why Paul addressed this. And that's why it's not being taught, at least explained in the church today. It's being avoided because of controversy. And I must begin that I don't hold back from what the Bible teaches. I don't want to be politically correct. I want to be biblically correct. And if it's in the scriptures, we have to read it and study it. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. The men of the church ought to be praying. Men in the church should be men of prayer. In our last study, Paul wrote that we, in plural, so speaking of all, men and women, all Christians, all believers, we ought to pray for kings and all who are in authority. Here, Paul is directly speaking to the men in the church. Men should be men of prayer. It's usually the women. It's usually the women that have no problem gathering together to pray. Men are the last if they do come. Praise God that we do have a group of men in our prayer uh, services every Wednesday night. And this applies to all men in the church, whether you serve in the church or whether you do not serve in the church. We are called to pray. As for Calvary Chapel of Milford, if you considered Calvary Chapel of Milford your church, your church family, then you are called to pray. If ever a time that a church needs prayer is now especially men who are in leadership because they cannot teach and tell anyone to pray if they themselves do not pray. Men who lead God's people must lead in prayer. And that also goes for the home. Paul says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, many at any time, anywhere, hands lifted up to God. And the emphasis here is not so much the posture of prayer because we can pray to the Lord sitting down. We can pray to the Lord while we're walking, while we're driving, as long as you got your eyes on the road. You can pray to the Lord. Remember that the church, the church of Jesus Christ was birthed out in, back in Acts chapter 1, not in a temple, but in a residential area, uh, an upper room. And it says that they were sitting and they were praying. They were sitting and they were praying. And if you want to consider the position to pray, I suggest you do not pray while you're laying down on bed. Because the Holy Spirit could interpret any language known to man. 
but not snoring. You will fall asleep, trust me. I've tried it. That's why I get up. I either sit up on my bed, get on my knees, or I go to my room where I study, and I'll, I'll sit there and I'll pray because I know that if I lay down, the snoring will kick in. Now, it's not so much the physical posture in which we pray, but Paul's emphasis here is of a pure heart, to have the right heart. Because he goes on to say, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Do you know that broken relationships, now listen, broken relationship can affect one's ability to pray. Broken relationships can affect one's ability to pray and affects the prayer. Jesus I mean, tells us this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. Jesus said, but I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever calls his brother raka, that's another word for moron, and we use that a lot when we drive, don't we? It's dangerous. Shall be a danger of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell and fire because it's the heart. Therefore, if you bring your gifts to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, this is what you do before you go to prayer. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gifts. And this is what Jesus, this is in red letters in your Bible. He tells us we need to reconcile one another before we bring our gifts. And before we come to the Lord with lifted hands, reconcile with your brother. He said, men, uh, pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. We're to pray, believing God's will be done. Not your will, God's will. You know, we always have a way of telling God how to do things, don't we? Your will. Jesus went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And the scripture tells us in Hebrew, uh, for without faith, it's impossible to please him. It's impossible to please. So when we pray without wrath, without doubt. Now listen, men everywhere, especially at home. Why are there problems at home within the family and in the household? Because the men in the house are not being men. And one part of that, of being a leader in your house, is to pray. And you can't tell your children and, you, you know, show your children. You can't tell your children to pray if you yourself don't pray. They, must, they follow by example, and you need to lead, so you need to pray. You heard that saying, a family that prays together stays together. And it's the truth. Pray together. Now, notice Paul did not tell the women to pray. Of course, again, women love to pray. They love to pray. There's not a problem there. It's the men. As a matter of fact, you find that they're prayer circles. Most of them are women. In some of the prayer circles, be careful because it's only for people that you like, you want to pray with, and it sometimes becomes a gossip, right? I remember when I walk around, you know, I have my own prayer circle, and it's me walking around the lake in my community, three hours. That's my prayer circle. Sometimes I take a walk, and I start praying that whole time, three miles, just talking to the Lord. But women have no problem with prayer, so men pray everywhere. Now, verse 9, he says, in like manner also, that is with the right heart, that is, Ladies, when you come to the house, in like manner, the women adore themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. 
Now, this is important how to interpret this because this is where people start misinterpreting what the Bible says, especially here when it comes to women in the house of God or in church or leadership role. Because they'll use this word and say, well, let me give you the definition. The word women here is the word gune, gune, and that is in the Greek. Gune means a woman of any age, whether virgin, married, or widow. It could also be used uh, in the scriptures. You find it used as women in general and a wife. But they say, yeah, you see, it's a wife. So it's talking about a wife in the church. You know, no, no. Because I give you three reasons. And, you know, you have many uh, liberal scholars who say, yeah, this is referring to wives. No, it's not talking about wives. It's talking about not women in the church, women in the home, but women in the church. And here are three reasons why. Number one, you know, as it is with the English word, in English, we use a word that has a variety of meanings. An English word can have a variety of meaning to it. If I say the word apple, some of you are hungry, you think about a fruit. Or you think about New York City. Or you think about a computer. Or you think about the pupil of one's eye. The word gune is used uh, as wife and in general. As a matter of fact, my second reason, second reason is this. In the New Testament, the Greek word gune, where the word women is referred to in general, is mentioned 92 times. 92 times in the New Testament, where it's referring to women in general. However, when we look, I'm sorry, 92 times when it's referred to wives. 92 times when it's referred to wives. But 129 times when it's referring to women in general. But the third reason is context. Context, context, context. You got to read it in context. When somebody used the word apple, you have to understand what they're referring to. But the only way is you listen to their words, listen to their sentence or the paragraph. You know, inductive Bible study, you know, whenever you study the scriptures, you must read it and study the context. And context is king. And so Paul is referring here to wives. Paul is not referring to wives, but is referring to women in general. Okay? So we'll see that more clearly when we get to verses 11 and 10. In fact, when we get to chapter 3 of verse 15, uh, Paul writes this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Remember, the reason why Paul is writing this letter is to clear up the disturbance that took place in Ephesus, the false teachings, and, you know, all other issues as we have before us. So, Gune, it's talking about Gune, verse 9, in like manner also... With a pure heart, women, number one, here it is, adorn yourself, adorn. Now, the word adorn, ladies, you're going to like this, is the word, the Greek word, kosmeo, the Greek word kosmeo, and it means to put in order, to arrange, to make ready, to prepare. So, ladies, you can actually say that buying cosmetic and putting on cosmetic is biblical. So, if your husband gets mad, why do you buy so much? It's biblical. I came from a legalistic Pentecostal church where women were forbidden to wear any kind of makeup or jewelry. They were, you couldn't use eyeliner, blush, nothing. Someone, they, they, weren't, they weren't even allowed to cut their hair. That's the kind of church I was raised up in. Now, I, obviously, that didn't affect me. Well, for men, we couldn't have a beard. They say having a beard wasn't, you know, you know, wasn't a, you, you, know you, you couldn't have a beard because for them it was unclean. I said, but Jesus had a beard. 
And that's why I had a problem in that church when I was a kid. They never answered my questions. It wasn't based on the scriptures, their practices. But women, adorn yourself. How women are to adorn yourself, he says, in modest apparel, with propriety and in moderation. So in moderate apparel, and that is to dress and wear decently, and you wear clothes that are decent, appropriate clothing, with propriety, meaning to avoid anything that would cause Shame, cause shame. Moderation means that a woman will be moderate in her dress. Although we live in a time and a culture where both women and men, both women and men, have absolutely no shame in the way they dress. And you know that. You, you try to avoid your kids from watching people and how they dress. Sometimes you have to turn off the TV, and I thank God I don't watch too much TV anymore. Very, very seldom. Judy and I say, hey, let's just watch a movie. But that's about it. Just so much stuff that is shameful. And it continues on. And this generation will go on to say, well, in your day, in my, you know, you people dress this way. And I could probably go on and say, well, in my, in my father's day, my parents' time, uh, they dressed like that. And it was considered inappropriate. And they could keep on, they could keep on going back. However, you know, where, is, where does it stop? Where does it stop? Here, Paul is speaking to women. That's because women in general, they love to dress well and look good. That's how it was in Paul's day. That's why Paul is writing this. If it wasn't an issue, Paul would not have mentioned this, but he's addressing this because this was a problem back then, as it is in the church today. Women love to dress. I mean, that's to come when, I, when we go shopping. I just hate it. Every time there's like five or 20 stores for every one store for men. There are boutiques all over the place. Where are the men's stores, you know? Like, you could go down in town, you find some clothing shops for women. Very seldom you find anything for men. Men, where do you, oh, Walmart. (laughs) The Walmart section. Yeah, they have one. I think ShopRite is starting to, and that's how it is for guys. And I hate it because, you know, with women, it's just a selection. You know, guys, like, maybe two pairs of shoes. Women, it's like 20 in each color, each style. And that's because women love to dress, and that's great. That's how it was from the beginning of time, even in Paul's day. So here, Paul is saying that, you know, Christian women and the woman of God should adorn herself and how she is to dress in modest apparel with propriety and in moderation, especially, especially in the church. He's talking about the church. Ultimately, and this goes, this goes for both men and women. We should be careful in the way we dress. We should. We live in a world that don't care. I don't care what anybody, I dress for myself. I buy the clothes. I, I don't care what you, yeah, but you, according, for the Christian, that is, the world may have that attitude, but as believers, we shouldn't. There are many reasons why. We need to be careful in how we dress, both men and women, because the way you dress can cause someone else to stumble. Paul says this in Romans chapter 14, verse 13. He says, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours, we have this liberty in Christ, become a stumbling block to those who are weak. 
So we need to be careful. You can cause a brother and sister to stumble and sin and fall because of the way you dress. And, and if you do that, not only if that person who looks at you inappropriately, sexually, Jesus said if you commit adultery in your heart, you already committed adultery, right? But according to scripture, you also sin before God. Are you your brother's keeper? Absolutely. We take care for everyone around us. So if a person looks at you in an appropriate way because the way you dress, you can't say, well, that's his problem. No, it's yours too because you caused them to sin. So we need to be careful and be considerate of others. You know, there are people who just, okay, you're young. You want to show off what you have. We all know it's not going to last for too long. Right? It's not going to last. You're not going to have the same shape you have. It's a shame what some of these celebrities are doing, causing people to sin. It's sad. If you have, you're happy with your body, your figure, you know, hey, show it off to yourself in the mirror. And if you're married, show it off to your spouse. Show it off to your spouse. Because while we're on the subject, wives, your body does not belong to you. It belongs to your husband. In the same way, husbands, your body does not belong to you. It belongs to your wife. That's what the Bible says. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. And it's a beautiful picture because we look at authority, oh, you have to submit to authority. There's something with the attitude of man that we don't like to submit to anything. We hear the word authority. It doesn't matter who has it. We just hate it. It's the truth. And that's why there's rebellion. That's why Satan rebelled. That's why we become a rebellious culture. Lawlessness is because anything with the word authority, you know, we overlook it and, you know, and, and we miss the point. This is a beautiful verse for husbands and wives. It's to say, hey, they're to take care of each other. And so it's important. And I'm speaking to married couples. I'm not talking about unmarried couples, you know. Well, scripture doesn't have anything about boyfriends and girlfriends for you young ones. There's nothing in the scriptures that talks about boyfriends and girlfriends and how you to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's courting. It's for marriage. Some people use it as a way, okay, this is the season with this person, next season, and that's it. He's talking about married couples. Ultimately, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, your body belongs to to Christ and it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nineteen. He says, "Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own?" You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie. We've been looking at some useful and practical advice that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. This book jumps into what it looks like to be a leader in the church. Paul also doesn't shy away from encouraging those who are young to run with zeal and not grow discouraged. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in spirit, in faith, in purity. If you're facing opposition because of your age, be reminded that Timothy faced similar struggles and God used him mightily. 
just like he can use you too. We're so glad you joined us today for running the race. Are you in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area? If so, Jessica has an invitation for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. On our website, we also have some helpful resources to assist you in what you're learning or how you're studying the Bible. Just click on the Study Helps tab at runningtheraceradio.com. We're so glad you tuned in today, and we look forward to the next edition in the book of 1 Timothy on Running the Race.